0: The Braille Monitor, Volume 66, Number 3, March 2023, Gary Wonder, Editor. Distributed by email, in ink print, in Braille, and on USB flash drive, by the National Federation of the Blind, Mark Riccobono, President. Telephone, 410-659-9314. Email address, nfb at nfb.org. Website address. H-T-T-P colon slash slash dot org. dot org. H-T-T-P colon slash slash org. N-F-B Newsline Information. 866-504-7300. Like us on Facebook. Facebook.com slash National Federation of the Blind. Follow us on Twitter at NFB underscore voice. Watch and share our videos, youtube.com slash nationsblind. Letters to the President, address changes, subscription requests, and orders for NFB literature should be sent to the National Office. Articles for the Monitor and Letters to the Editor may also be sent to the National Office or may be emailed to gwunder, G-W-U-N-D-E-R, at nfb.org. Monitor subscriptions cost the Federation about $40 per year, Members are invited and non-members are requested to cover the subscription cost. Donations should be made payable to National Federation of the Blind and sent to National Federation of the Blind, 200 East Well Street at Jernigan Place, Baltimore, Maryland, 21230-4998. The National Federation of the Blind knows that blindness is not the characteristic that defines you or your future. Every day we raise the expectations of blind people because low expectations create obstacles between blind people and our dreams. You can live the life you want. Blindness is not what holds you back. The National Federation of the Blind is not an organization speaking for the blind. It is the blind speaking for ourselves. Each issue is recorded on a thumb drive, also called a memory stick or USB flash drive. You can read this audio edition using a computer or a National Library Service digital player. The NLS machine has two slots the familiar book cartridge slot just above the retractable carrying handle and a second slot located on the right side near the headphone jack. This smaller slot is used to play thumb drives. Remove the protective rubber pad covering this slot and insert the thumb drive. It will insert only in one position. If you encounter resistance, flip the drive over and try again. Note: If the cartridge slot is not empty when you insert the thumb drive, the digital player will ignore the thumb drive. Once the thumb drive is inserted, the player buttons will function as usual for reading digital materials. If you remove the thumb drive to use the player for cartridges, when you insert it again, reading should resume at the point you stopped. You can transfer the recording of each issue from the thumb drive to your computer or preserve it on the thumb drive. However, because thumb drives can be used hundreds of times, we would appreciate their return in order to stretch our funding. Please use the return envelope enclosed with the drive when you return the device. Convention Bulletin, 2023 A photo appears on the page, the caption, Hilton America's Houston Convention Center Hotel. There are plenty of reasons one might travel to Houston, Texas, the fourth most populous city in the United States. One might visit for the nearly three-week-long Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo. The city's vibrant art scene boasts the largest concentration of theater seats outside of New York City. And no Houston resident would let a visitor forget that the city is home to the 2022 World Series champion, Houston Astros. There is little question that Houston has a great deal going for it. The city's real draw, however, is that it will play host to the National Federation of the Blind's 2023 National Convention. It has now been more than 50 years since the largest gathering of the organized blind last convened in Houston, Texas, and our return in 2023 will be an event not to be missed. The Hilton Americas Houston Hotel, 1600 Lamar Street, Houston, Texas, 77010, will serve as our convention headquarters hotel. Situated in the heart of downtown Houston, across the street from the beautiful 12-acre Discovery Green Park, the Hilton Americas is an ideal location for our annual event. Ballrooms, breakout space, and sleeping rooms are all stacked in the same tower housed on a single city block, simplifying navigation and minimizing travel distances. In-room internet is complimentary to all attendees, as is access to the health club and swimming pool on the 22nd floor. There are several dining options on the hotel's lobby level, including a Starbucks for those of you requiring a caffeine fix, and many more choices within easy walking distance from the Hilton's front door. The nightly rate at the Hilton Americas Houston is $119 for singles, doubles, triples, and quads. In addition, the sales tax rate is 8.25%, and the hotel occupancy tax rate is 17%. To book your room for the 2023 Convention, call 1-800-236-2905 after January 1 and ask for the NFB Convention block. For each room, the hotel will take a deposit of the first night's room rate and taxes and will require a credit card or a personal check. If you use a credit card, the deposit will be charged against your card immediately. If a reservation is canceled before Monday, June 1, 2023, half of the deposit will be returned. Otherwise, refunds will not be made. We have also secured overflow space at the wonderful Marriott Marquis Houston. The Marriott is only a three-block walk directly across Discovery Green, or attendees can walk entirely indoors through the George R. Brown Convention Center, connecting both hotels on the second level. You will find many of the same amenities at the Marriott, as well as a Texas-shaped Lazy River Pool. The room rate at the Marriott Marquis is also $119 per night for singles, doubles, triples, and quads. To book a room, call one 622 3056 after January 1. Again, ask for the NFB Convention Block. Similarly, the same deposit and cancellation policies apply. The 2023 Convention of the National Federation of the Blind will be a truly exciting and memorable event with an unparalleled program and rededication to the goals and work of our movement. A wide range of seminars for parents of blind children, technology enthusiasts, job seekers, and other groups will kick the week off on Saturday, July 1. Convention registration and registration packet pickup will also open on Saturday. Breakout sessions continue on Sunday along with committee meetings. Monday, July 3, will kick off with the annual meeting, open to all, of the Board of Directors of the National Federation of the Blind. National Division meetings will follow the Board meeting that afternoon and evening. General Convention sessions will begin on Tuesday, July 4, and continue through the afternoon of Thursday, July 6. Convention ends on a high note with the banquet Thursday evening, so be sure to pack your fancy clothes. The fall of the gavel at the close of banquet will signal Convention's adjournment. Remember that, as usual, we need door prizes from state affiliates, local chapters, and individuals. Once again, prizes should be small in size but large in value. Cash, of course, is always appropriate and welcome. As a rule, we ask that prizes of all kinds have a value of at least $25 and not include alcohol. Drawings will occur steadily throughout the convention sessions, and you can anticipate a Texas-sized grand prize to be drawn at the banquet. You may bring door prizes with you to convention or send them in advance to the National Federation of the Blind of Texas at 1600 East Highway 6, Suite 215, Alvin, Texas, 77511. The best collection of exhibits featuring new technology, meetings of our special interest groups, committees, and divisions, the most stimulating and provocative program items of any meeting of the blind in the world, the chance to renew friendships in our Federation family, and the unparalleled opportunity to be where the real action is and where decisions are being made. All of these mean you will not want to miss being part of the 2023 National Convention. To assure yourself a room in the Headquarters Hotel at convention rates, make your reservations early. We plan to see you in Houston in July. Volume 66, Number 3, March 2023, Contents Illustration Science, technology, engineering, and mathematics are for blind people, too. Reunion and Recommitment, The Blind Return to Washington, D.C., by Gary Wonder. The Significance of the Washington Seminar 2023, by Mark Ricabono Legislative Agenda of Blind Americans, Priorities for the 118th Congress, First Session. Websites and Software Applications Accessibility Act. Blind Americans Return to Work Act. Medical Device Non-Visual Accessibility Act Celebration of Life, Scott C. Labar Remarks by Anahit Labar Remarks by Alan Olson Remarks by Mark Ricabono Remarks by Judy Perry Martinez Remarks by Daniel F. Goldstein Remarks by Mark Maurer Remarks by Pam Allen Remarks by Francis Gurry Remarks by Marianne Diamond. Remarks by Julie Reiskin. State of Colorado Proclamation. Science, technology, engineering, and mathematics are for blind people, too. From the Editor. As I write biographies for our leaders and consider my own education, I'm saddened by how much energy we too often have put into avoiding science and math courses. Sometimes it was because we were told these fields were beyond us, and enforcing this was the difficulty in getting the books used by sighted STEM students. But the beauty of this is that the world is changing, and blind people are beginning to demonstrate that science, technology, engineering, and mathematics are not beyond us, and that many of us can flourish in jobs that result from this education. Part of this positive change is that the National Federation of the Blind has run a program called STEM2U, encouraging education and work in these fields for nearly two decades. Traditionally, we have brought students to our Jernigan Institute for training, and now we are expanding this work to our affiliates. These pictures show some of the activities that demonstrate the non-visual alternative techniques we use to make what are normally visual observations. Photo 1, the caption, Laura Pitner and Lauren Altman show off the parachute they assembled. One of them holds the parachute up, while the other sits at the table in front of them, which is covered with various project materials. Photo 2, the caption, Hands building a geometric moon base made of toothpicks and Play-Doh. Photo 3, the caption, Tamika Williams draws on a sensational blackboard. Photo 4, the caption, Teachers Justin Harford and Jenny Carmack work with a balloon and string. The string is attached to a chair. The point is to show how a rocket works given action and reaction. Reunion and Recommitment The Blind Return to Washington, D.C. by Gary Wonder A photo appears on the page, the caption, Gary Wonder. Since 1973, the National Federation of the Blind has been traveling to Washington, D.C. so that the lawmakers of our land will understand who the blind are, what we're doing, and all of this leading to progress and first-class citizenship. In 2021 and 2022, we came to D.C. virtually, but in 2023, we were back in our hundreds to speak as the voice of the nation's blind, to show how representative democracy works in our organization, and to encourage it to work in the United States of America. Our meetings began on January 30, 2022, and they featured a lively student seminar, a job fair with 16 employers and more than 50 job seekers, a training session in the afternoon to become familiar with our issues, and the highlight of the day, our great gathering in, which began at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. That meeting was kicked off with a keynote presentation by President Riccobono, and his remarks immediately follow this article. Stephanie Cascone is our Director of Communications, and for the first time, she addressed the Washington Seminar Live. She wanted those who gathered in person and through Zoom to know that we have generated several public service announcements that are now available for download and distribution. The PSA played for the group was about changes in vision, and those in person reacted with enthusiasm. Again, this year, the seminar was active on social media and used the tag hashtag NFBNTC Anyone can read what was shared using the hashtag, and we are also encouraged to share our stories about the need for the legislation we are supporting at stories at nfb.org. As Stephanie said, we firmly believe that more stories make more progress. For many years, the coordinator of our Washington seminar team was Diane McGeorge. Her successor is Buna Hall, and she was invited to the microphone to discuss seminar logistics and Team 275 the newly renamed crew who previously ran the Mercury Room. Buna has been attending these seminars since 1995 and is an active participant in Washington State and in any other place we need her. She gave a shout-out to all of those who help in the logistics, from the national staff to the volunteers that make things flow smoothly. She reminded us that the Washington Seminar is just one way that we change lives so that people like her can say that they truly are living the lives they want. The day that we held this event marked the 19th anniversary of the opening of the Jernigan Institute. That opening represented a significant commitment on our part, and we met it. Another commitment looms, that being to create the Museum of the Blind People's Movement. Because we have a story to tell and many stories that are yet to be written, we need both a physical place and a virtual place to tell them. Very soon, we will be asking members to make pledges and donations to building something that not only tells our story, but demonstrates the ultimate in accessibility. Whether that means making things physically touchable in our museum or virtually accessible on the Internet, we have the knowledge, the desire, and the commitment to make it happen. All members of our National Board of Directors have made contributions, they have been joined by our executive staff, and our Nevada affiliate made a $50,000 pledge with a challenge to all other affiliates. Accepting that challenge is the National Federation of the Blind of Utah the National Federation of the Blind of Maryland, the National Federation of the Blind of Minnesota, and the National Federation of the Blind of Illinois. Although we have a long way to go, currently we have raised $2.1 million. Anil Lewis is our Director of Blindness Initiatives, having come to the staff after serving as a State President in Georgia and on the National Board of Directors. He began by asking the group how many would classify themselves as Make America Great Again advocates. A fair number applauded. He asked how many people in the room subscribed to the slogan, Build Back Better. Again, a large segment of the room responded. He suggests that our goal is not to make America great again, but to make America greater. Similarly, he believes that our goal is not to build back better. Instead, we will build a better America. Both of these things we will do with the full participation of the blind. Our programs are designed to help individuals and, at the same time, to address the systemic problems that have created difficulty and limited our opportunity. As Americans, we are not broken-sighted people. Instead, we are a part of the population who has of necessity developed the skill set designed for problem-solving and creating success. Conveying this message is not limited to our trip to D.C. It is why we exist. By tapping our inner resources, we make our country stronger and more resilient. A man with many titles was the next person invited to the microphone. Everett Bacon is the chairman of our Jacob Balotten Award Committee, the president of the National Federation of the Blind of Utah, and the corporate secretary of the National Federation of the Blind. He talked about the Dr. Jacob Balotten Award and encouraged all of us to nominate individuals and organizations worthy of recognition, prestige, and the money that comes with being granted this award. The application can be found on the NFB website, and those with questions can write to Ballotin Award, B O L O T I N A W A R D, at nfb.org. Our next presenter was elected to the Senate by the citizens of Maryland in November of 2016. Senator Van Hollen is now serving in his second term, and his commitment to seeing that everyone receives a quality education and then has a good shot at a job is one we share. He is known for introducing bipartisan legislation and working across the aisle and one of his most notable accomplishments was the passage of the ABLE Act. In his remarks, Senator Van Hollen noted that he is a co-sponsor of the Accessible Technology Affordability Act and believes deeply that the assistive technology that exists must be widely deployed, and that means making it more affordable to blind people. I've been in Congress long enough to know that if you are not pushing year after year, you will never break down the door. Do not grow weary. It is fine to be frustrated at the pace of progress, but never give up, because when we pass legislation, it is the result of people pushing for a very, very long time. Senator Van Hollen continues to press for the full funding of the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. He believes that the federal government did the right thing in the 1970s when it mandated that everyone in the country have access to an equal education. Where it has failed is that it has never funded these programs to the extent that it committed it would, meeting only about a third of its obligation. He continues to sponsor the aim High Act so blind students can learn in accessible and inclusive environments. He said, In terms of unemployment, we know that every American should have the opportunity to participate fully in our workforce, and we also know that blind people faced too many barriers in finding and retaining good-paying jobs. We need to make sure we push employers in the right direction to encourage them, but one of the things we should not allow are sub-minimum wages. This practice is unacceptable. Everyone here knows that it needs to change, and I am proud that in my state of Maryland, the home to the NFB, we became the second state in the country to eliminate those minimum wages in 2020. I was very proud to be the prime Democrat author in the House of Representatives for the ABLE Act. The ABLE Act, as you know, has allowed families to put away funds to support their loved ones. Recently, legislation has been adopted to change this age from 26 to 46. We want to make sure that more people who are blind and more people with other disabilities who are over the age of 26 can still benefit from these ABLE accounts. I know that with your help we will succeed in achieving these important goals because what brings us together is making sure we fulfill the promise of America, which is the promise of equal rights and equal justice and equal opportunity. Throughout many different parts of our society, we have known that we've been traveling a long road. We've made progress, but we also know and you are here in the nation's capital because we have a long way to go, we have a long journey still ahead to make good on those promises in so many parts of our country and so many parts of our laws. Your voice matters. John Perry next came to address the Great Gathering Inn. He is excited enough about this once again in-person Washington seminar that he tells almost everyone he knows. This year some of his closest friends have been cautioning him not to expect too much, keeping in mind the divisions in Congress, and the difficulty those divisions will pose for us as we try to encourage the passage of good legislation. As is his nature, John courteously acknowledges their advice, but in his head and heart he knows that tough odds are often faced by the National Federation of the Blind as we go about making changes in society. He remembers how daunting the task of getting quiet cars to make sound was. At the outset, no one supported the effort, But through our persistence, government and industry came together to craft a law that makes our streets safer for blind pedestrians. He also remembers the uphill battle to gain passage of the Marrakesh Treaty and the advice of powerful people in and outside government that said getting a treaty that would involve changing the Copyright Act would be almost impossible. We changed the Act and got the treaty, and reasonableness and persistence prevailed over the gloomy predictions about our efforts. The long and the short of things is that we are here to advocate and educate, realizing that this is an ongoing process and vowing that we will not stop until it is done. Summaries of the bills followed, and fact sheets are found elsewhere in this issue. Denise Avant was next recognized in her capacity as the co-chair of the Membership Committee. She acknowledged her co-chair, Tariq Williams, and the member of the national staff directly supporting the committee's efforts, Danielle McCann. Last year we onboarded 496 new members, and the cheer from new members attending their first Washington seminar was very moving. We have been reaching out to other organizations as a part of our work to address the intersecting characteristics of our members, and with us was the President of the National Organization of Women, Christian Nunes. Coming to understand our intersecting characteristics is in part an internal process, but part of our work is reaching out to other organizations and letting them know about our efforts, along with encouraging them to make similar ones. Ryan Strunk was not able to be present, but did join us electronically. He explained our pre-authorized contribution, PAC Plan. He said that people who want to get on the PAC Plan can do it by going to nfb.org/pac, or can call 877-632-2722. Patty Chang briefly addressed the crowd about the DreamMaker Circle, our way of giving to the Federation when we have passed. Although this is an uncomfortable subject, it certainly is our way of seeing to the future of the National Federation of the Blind, and those interested in participating can talk with Patty by dialing her at 410-659-9314, extension 2422, or by writing to her at pchang, pchang, at nfb.org. Our National Association of Blind Students was introduced and provided information about the wonderful auction items that were available and a meeting that would take place later in the evening. Our Great Gathering In meeting concluded with an upbeat announcement about donuts available on the following day, thanks to the D.C. affiliate. On adjournment, those present went off to find dinner, strategize for the week to come, and role play to be better prepared to address the issues before our nation's leaders. At 5.30 p.m. on Tuesday evening, February 1, we held a congressional reception in the Kennedy Caucus Room, one of the most prestigious meeting spaces offered by the United States Senate. The senator responsible for helping us get this room is also a major proponent for eliminating the payment of subminimum wages for people with disabilities, and most importantly, he has made a commitment to listen to the concerns of people with disabilities. Senator Bob Casey began by thanking us for the advocacy we are doing during the 2023 Washington Seminar, but he stressed that the work we do year in and year out to advance the rights of all people with disabilities is equally important. He began by reviewing progress made in the last Congress, the passage of the ABLE Age Adjustment Act being first on his list of significant accomplishments. It is expected that this bill will affect 6 million people, 1 million of them being veterans. Also passed was the 21st Century Assistive Technology Act to increase funding for state programs that provide access to assistive technology. The third major accomplishment he highlighted was the extension of the Money Follows the Person and the Spousal Impoverishment Protection Act. The former increases the ability of a disabled Medicaid recipient to live where they wish and still receive support from Medicaid. In terms of where we go next, phasing out the payment of sub-minimum wages must continue to be a priority. This is why the Senator supports the transformation to Competitive Integrated Employment Act. This bill will ensure that people with disabilities can work in integrated work settings and be paid at least the minimum wage, while at the same time continuing to receive the support they need in order to be independent. Senator Casey concluded his presentation by saying, I know that when we get support across one party or both, it happens because of the good work that has been done by the people in this room. So I thank you for that. I ask you to keep helping us on these issues because your voice not only matters, your voice is not only relevant, your voice is not only persuasive, but it is what is crucial when it comes to getting support across the aisle for all of these issues. President Riccobono took the opportunity to thank the autonomous company vehicle developer Cruz for their sponsorship of this reception. This company is committed to developing vehicles guided by technology that will help blind people achieve a level of independence we have never had before. The last person to speak was Representative Marion Miller Meeks. While most of her work has focused on prevention of blindness, an effort we support, she assured us that she would be supporting us as we made what she viewed as a challenge and courage to come to Washington, D.C. President Rigobono commended the Representative for her work on prevention of blindness and vision restoration and asked that she join us in helping people who are blind to live the lives we want. In the last formal meeting all of us held together on Wednesday evening, the crowd was enthusiastic in their reports about the response we got from Congress. It was clear that we got many direct visits with members, and whether it was from members or their influential staff, the clear message was that Congress was impressed by our visit, supportive of our issues, and one with us in our philosophical approach to what government's position regarding blindness should be. Many gave us good reason to believe that they will support our proposals once they have had a chance to review the language and when it has bill numbers attached to it. Before the week was out, we had more than 450 in-person meetings and a goodly number that were held virtually. Although Congress has doubts about how much it will accomplish given the current mood and configuration of the bodies, we were applauded by representatives and senators of each party for crafting what they believe to be non-partisan legislation. The consensus from the Congress seems to be that they are impressed with the kind of reform our proposals will bring to government, our philosophical orientation to incentivize work, our demand that we be given free access to the goods and services offered to our fellow citizens, and by the very fact that we came to see them in their offices. Their concluding message was that we want to do right by you, and see that some of this finds its way into the statutes of our country. Our message is that we will do everything we can to make their wish our country's reality. The Significance of the Washington Seminar, 2023, by Mark Riccobono. A photo appears on the page, the caption, Mark Riccobono speaking at the 2023 Great Gathering Inn. From the editor, this was the keynote address given to begin our 2023 Great Gathering Inn at 5 p.m. Eastern Time to one crowded ballroom and one overflow room connected using closed-circuit television. Here are the remarks given by our president.
1: In November 1940, the National Federation of the Blind was founded to provide the blind with a vehicle for collective action on a nationwide basis. In his call to action for the new organization, Jacobus Tenbrook, the first president of the National Federation of the Blind and an emerging thought leader on the United States Constitution, declared individually we are scattered ineffective and inarticulate subject alike to the oppression of the social worker and the arrogance of the government administrator collectively collectively we are the masters of our own future and the successful guardians of our own common interests. Since that time, we have continually worked to have the voice of the nations blind, respected, and our desire for full participation understood in the halls of power in Washington, D.C. In the fall of 1973, we held the first of our annual large-scale March on Washington events, and we have come back every year. Everyday blind people bringing their daily lived experience, their future aspirations, and their commitment to participating fully in strengthening the country we are proud to share. A nation where blindness does not define, is not the characteristic that defines us or our future. A nation where we are not held back by the low expectations and artificial barriers that today stand in our way. Year after year, we have carried our own agenda to Washington, and we have positively changed America. We have showed up in the most difficult of circumstances, knowing that our equal protection under the law and our equality of opportunity are too important to wait for an uncertain future. Action is required today. In 2021, the occupants of the halls of power were not gathered in Washington. Social distancing protocols and advice from the so-called experts told us to wait until another time. But we have been told to wait before. Told to wait for someone else to do it for us. Told to wait until things work for others. Then they will make them accessible to us. Told, told that we should be grateful for what little we have, rather than dream of a bigger tomorrow. Since 1940, we have refused to wait, choosing instead to find ways to make our voice heard. In response to the suggestion that we wait, we innovated a large-scale Zoom on Washington. (laughs) Hundreds of meetings skillfully coordinated, hosted, and followed through by the blind of America. While we did not gather in person in 2021 or 2022, our voice was heard by the lawmakers of our nation. And now, our nation welcomes the new 118th Congress to Washington, and a familiar voice rises again to say, We're back! (laughs) The organized blind are united, back together in person and equipped to continue building our future and protecting our common interests. We arrive in Washington standing on a foundation of achievements built by those who came before us. Since we were last in person at this gathering, we have lost some of the most significant blind leaders of the past 50 years. We stand here tonight because they showed up time after time after time and would not wait. With deepest gratitude, we hold the bond of faith they shared with us and continue our march. Their spirit calls us forward Their love fills us with determination. Their legacy is our action this week. We come to build a future where websites and mobile applications are built for all of us to fully participate in education, public information, and commerce. We come to guard against being denied the opportunity to manage our own care and that of our loved ones because medical devices that are incorrectly built to require vision to be effectively used. We come to dismantle the outdated rules of the Social Security Disability Insurance Program, which place blind people at risk of economic hardship as we seek advancement in our careers. These are only three of our most pressing priorities. There are more we intend to build. Furthermore, while we are focused on educating the United States Congress this week. We intend to use all of the tools of advancement available to us. We have organized in every state, in Puerto Rico and in the District of Columbia, to have a nationwide network of blind people creating opportunities for ourselves. We will be in the local city halls and state legislatures to eliminate the barriers and educate the public about our capacities. We will be, in every community, demonstrating the techniques that we use to successfully live the lives we want as blind people. We will be bringing educational efforts to blind youth in partnership with our teachers of tomorrow so that, they, so that the next generation of blind innovators can share that bond with us and reach even higher than we have ever imagined. We will assist blind job seekers when they encounter inaccessible job application processes and discriminatory and arbitrary criteria that declare vision is a requirement for success. We will raise the quality of life enjoyed by blind seniors by teaching them that their changing vision does not change the fullness of their participation in the world. And to secure all of this, we will advance the right of blind people to have an accessible, private, and independently fillable ballot in elections. Whether we choose to vote in person or in our homes. Let this be heard by any elected official who stands between blind people and our dreams. A vote against our future opportunities secures our vote for other leaders who believe in the blind of America. Our work this week is concentrated in Washington, D.C., But our building happens in every community across this nation every week of the year. While it feels like so many people in our society are divided, the blind are unified in our agenda and committed to the future we want for ourselves. We come back to our in-person Washington seminar, knowing more than ever before that we are stronger together. This is our march for opportunity. This is our dedication to smashing the artificial barriers. This is our salute to the blind who have made it possible for us to be where we are today. This is our bond of hope for a future full of opportunities. This is the significance of the Washington Seminar.
0: Legislative Agenda of Blind Americans, Priorities for the 118th Congress, First Session. The National Federation of the Blind is a community of members and friends who believe in the hopes and dreams of the nation's blind. Every day we work together to help blind people live the lives we want. Websites and Software Applications Accessibility Act Websites are required by law to be accessible, but without implementing regulations, most businesses and retailers have little understanding of what accessible means. The Websites and Software Applications Accessibility Act will end website and software application inaccessibility for blind Americans. Medical Device Non-Visual Accessibility Act Inaccessible digital interfaces prevent blind individuals from independently and safely operating medical devices that are essential to their daily health care needs. The Medical Device Non-Visual Accessibility Act will end unequal access to medical devices for blind Americans. Blind Americans Return to Work Act Current Social Security law contains a policy that has the unintended consequence of discouraging blind Americans from maximizing their earnings potential, The Blind Americans Return to Work Act will eliminate the Social Security Disability Insurance Earnings Cliff and create a true work incentive for blind Americans. These priorities will remove obstacles to website access, independent living, and maximizing earning potential. We urge Congress to support our legislative initiatives. Websites and Software Applications Accessibility Act Issue Websites are required by law to be accessible but without implementing regulations, most businesses and retailers have little understanding of what accessible means. Websites and mobile applications are an essential part of modern living. More than 307 million Americans use the Internet, and 81% of Americans say that they access the Internet at least once each day. That means that nearly the entire country is accessing websites and mobile applications every day. However, The need to access websites and mobile applications doesn't stop when it reaches Americans with disabilities. According to the American Community Survey, conducted by the United States Census Bureau, there are approximately 41 million Americans who currently have a disability. This means that millions of disabled Americans are using websites and mobile applications. The Department of Justice announced its intention to publish accessible website regulations more than a decade ago. On July 26, 2010, the 20th anniversary of the passage of the Americans with Disabilities Act, ADA, the government published an advance notice of proposed rulemaking to address website accessibility. After that initial announcement, the Department of Justice failed to publish a notice of proposed rulemaking and, by extension, final regulations. Without these final regulations in place, blind and disabled Americans face significant difficulty in electronically accessing businesses, applying for jobs, or working due to the barrier of website inaccessibility. The past few years have seen a significant increase in the prevalence of so-called click-by lawsuits. Many businesses are required by law to make their websites accessible but claim to have no clear-cut definition of what accessible actually means. Meanwhile, people with disabilities must cope with inaccessible websites. ADA Title III lawsuits, which include website accessibility suits, hit record numbers in 2019, topping 11,000 for the first time. The number of lawsuits has been increasing steadily since 2013, when the figure was first tracked. Businesses yearn for a clear definition of website accessibility and to be able to expand their potential customer pool to consumers they were not reaching before. Solution Websites and Software Applications Accessibility Act will direct the Department of Justice, DOJ, and Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, EEOC, to promulgate accessibility regulations. The DOJ and EEOC will have 12 months following the enactment of the legislation to issue a Notice of Proposed Rulemaking regarding website and mobile application accessibility, then an additional 12 months to issue the final rule. Establish a comprehensive statutory definition for accessibility, A comprehensive and clear-cut definition of accessibility will end any confusion regarding the requirements that covered entities and commercial providers need to meet. Establish a technical assistance center to provide technical assistance to covered entities, commercial providers, and individuals with disabilities. The technical assistance centers aid in the construction, development, design, alteration, and modification of websites in accordance with the rules. The Attorney General, the Commission, The Secretary of Education will award a grant program to a qualified technical assistance provider to support the development, establishment, and procurement of accessible websites and applications. Ensure that accessibility regulations keep pace with new and emerging technologies. A periodic review of the regulations is required, and the DOJ and EEOC are required to update the regulations if necessary. Goal and website and software application inaccessibility for blind Americans. Co-sponsor the Websites and Software Applications Accessibility Act. To co-sponsor the Websites and Software Applications Accessibility Act in the Senate, contact Stephanie DeLuca, Legislative Assistant for Senator Duckworth, Democrat Illinois. Phone two zero two 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 four two eight five four. Email Stephanie underscore DeLuca d e l u c a at Duckworth dot senate. Dot gov. To co-sponsor the Websites and Software Applications Accessibility Act in the House, contact Katie Teleki, Legislative Director for Representative Sarbanes, Democrat, Maryland. Phone 202-225-4016. Email Kathleen, K-A-T-H-L-E-E-N, dot Teleki, T-E-L-E-K-Y, at mail.house.gov. For more information, contact... Jeff Kaloc, Government Affairs Specialist, National Federation of the Blind. Phone 410-659-9314, extension 2206. Email jkalok, jkaloc, at nfb.org. Blind Americans Return to Work Act Issue Current Social Security law contains a policy that has the unintended consequence of discouraging blind Americans from maximizing their earnings potential. The Social Security Disability Insurance, SSDI, program has a built-in earnings cliff. Title II of the Social Security Act provides that disability benefits paid to blind beneficiaries are eliminated if the beneficiary exceeds a monthly earnings limit. This earnings limit, often called the earnings cliff, is in effect a penalty imposed on blind Americans when they work. For example, the earnings limit in 2023 for a blind person is $2,460 per month. If a blind individual earns more than that threshold, even by just $1, they are engaged in Substantial Gainful Activity, SGA. Under the current law, any individual engaged in SGA is not entitled to any SSDI benefits. This means that if a blind person earns just $1 over the earnings limit, all benefits are lost. The earnings cliff has the unintended consequence of creating an incentive for blind people to remain unemployed or underemployed despite their desire to work. In a 2018 survey, National Industries for the Blind, NIB, found that 21% of respondents from 34 of their nonprofit associations had turned down a raise or promotion to retain their SSDI benefits. The survey also found that 37% of respondents had turned down additional hours or even asked to reduce their hours in order to retain their SSDI benefits. Blind Americans who are willing and capable to work are intentionally limiting themselves in order to keep from suddenly losing all of their SSDI benefits. The current work incentive in the form of the trial work period is needlessly complicated and counterintuitive. Under the current SSDI program, if a blind worker wants to try and earn more money, they will likely trigger a nine-month trial work period. These nine months do not have to be consecutive, but instead are any nine months during a rolling 60-month period in which the worker earned more than a certain amount. For 2023, this amount is $1,050 per month. When all of those nine months are exhausted, the worker is once again subject to the earnings cliff if they cross the SGA threshold. This is supposed to act as an incentive for blind recipients to determine if they are ready to work, but the complexity of the rules makes it easier to just ignore the process altogether. Additionally, 80% of respondents to NIB's 2018 survey said they did not have access to coaching or guidance on federal benefits. Solution Blind Americans Return to Work Act will Eliminate the earnings cliff by instituting a two-for-one phase-out of earnings over the SGA limit. For every $2 a blind worker earns above the SGA threshold, their benefits amount will be reduced by $1. Create a true work incentive for SSDI recipients. With a phase-out model, blind workers will always be better off striving to earn as much as possible, which will facilitate the transition of those workers from the SSDI system as benefits are gradually reduced. With this model, blind Americans will never lose by working. As an added benefit, Fewer workers earning SSDI benefits and instead paying into the Social Security Trust Fund means a more balanced trust fund in time. Simplify the SSDI system by eliminating the trial work period and grace period, making the rules more compatible with the Supplemental Security Income, SSI, program. Under the proposed system, the SSDI program will become less complicated. With both programs using similar rules, there will be less confusion and the Incentive for Blind People to Return to Work will be consistent and clear. Goal Eliminate the SSDI Earnings Cliff and create a true work incentive for blind Americans. Sponsor the Blind Americans Return to Work Act. For more information, contact Justin Young, Government Affairs Specialist, National Federation of the Blind, phone 410-659-9314, extension 2210, email Jay young. J-Y-O-U-N-G at nfb.org or visit www.nfb.org. Medical Device Non-Visual Accessibility Act Issue Inaccessible digital interfaces prevent blind individuals from independently and safely operating medical devices that are essential to their daily health care needs. Medical devices with a digital interface are becoming more prevalent and less accessible for blind Americans. The rapid proliferation of advanced technology is undeniable. Most new models of medical devices, such as glucose and blood pressure monitors, along with the emergence of in-home devices that offer medical care options, such as chemotherapy treatments and dialysis, require consumers to interact with digital displays or other interfaces. This new technology is constantly being developed and deployed without non-visual accessibility as an integral part of the design phase, which creates a modern-day barrier. The inaccessibility of these medical devices is not a mere inconvenience. When accessibility for blind consumers is omitted from the medical technology landscape, the health, safety and independence of blind Americans are in imminent danger. Telehealth currently makes up 20% of all medical visits and more healthcare providers are looking to expand telemedicine services. The National Center for Health Statistics also reported in twenty twenty one that thirty seven percent of all adults used telehealth. Unfortunately, these visits assume that a person has easy access to accessible medical devices to take their own vital signs. As a result of inaccessibility, blind and low vision Americans are at a distinct disadvantage when it comes to receiving the same virtual health care as their sighted counterparts. Non-visual access is achievable, as demonstrated by several mainstream products. Apple has incorporated VoiceOver, a screen-reading function, into all of its products, making iPhones, MacBooks, and Mac desktops, and iPads fully accessible to blind people right out of the box. Virtually all ATMs manufactured in the United States are accessible, and every polling place is required to have a non-visually accessible voting machine. Frequently, a simple audio output or tactile feature can make a product accessible at little to no additional cost for manufacturers. Current disability laws are not able to keep up with advancements due to the expeditious evolution of medical technology and its incorporation into medical devices. Although the Americans with Disabilities Act and other laws require physical accessibility for people with disabilities, e.g. wheelchair ramps, braille and public buildings, no laws protect a blind consumer's right to access medical devices. The National Council on Disability concluded that accessibility standards lag behind the rapid pace of technology, which can interfere with technology access. This trend of inaccessibility will continue if accessibility solutions are ignored. Only a fraction of medical device manufacturers have incorporated non-visual access standards into the product design, while others continue to resist these solutions. Solution Medical Device Non-Visual Accessibility Act Calls on the Food and Drug Administration, FDA, to promulgate non-visual accessibility regulations for Class II and Class 3 medical devices. The FDA will consult with stakeholders with disabilities and manufacturers and issue a notice of proposed rulemaking no later than 12 months after the date of enactment of the Act. No later than 24 months after the date of enactment of the Act, The FDA will publish the final rule, including the non-visual accessibility requirements. Requires manufacturers of Class 2 and Class 3 medical devices to make their products non-visually accessible. Manufacturers will have 12 months following the publication of the final rule to ensure that all the Class 2 and Class 3 medical devices they produce are non-visually accessible authorizes the FDA to enforce the non-visual access requirements for Class II and Class III medical devices. Any manufactured device found to be out of compliance, whether by a public complaint to the FDA or by an independent FDA investigation, will be considered as an adulterated product under the Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act. Manufacturers may file for an exemption for one of two reasons. Clear and convincing evidence that making the medical device non-visually accessible would fundamentally alter the use of the product or proof that modifying the medical device would create an undue burden for the company. Goal. End unequal access to medical devices for blind Americans. Sponsor the Medical Device Non-Visual Accessibility Act. For more information, contact Justin Young, Government Affairs Specialist, National Federation of the Blind, Phone 410-659-9314, extension 2210. Email Young jyoung, at nfb.org, or visit www.nfb.org. Celebration of Life, Scott C. Labar, July 2, 1968, December 10, 2022. Two photos appear on the page. Photo 1, the caption, Scott Labar Photo 2, the caption, Scott, seated on left, and other NFB members during a meeting with Senator David Durenberger of Minnesota in 1987. From the Editor This was the program given to each attendee, whether in person or online. Not all of the remarks presented at the memorial have been captured here, but it would be a significant omission not to recognize the work of Kevin Worley, who served as the Master of Ceremonies one might think that this would be no big deal for someone as skilled in public presentation as he. On the contrary, this was very difficult given the friendship that existed between Scott and Kevin, both clearly identifying the other as his best friend. Kevin's balance of sincerity, humor, moving the program along, respecting the right of each person to say what they needed to say, and offering a flattering comment about each was remarkable to observe and speaks well of the emotion, intellect, and heart of the man charged With CONDUCTING THE PROGRAM. PROGRAM Scott Charles Labar was a dynamic, dedicated, and diligent man whose life was characterized by gentleness, kindness, love, and a passion that resulted in hard work, initiative, and a determination to make the world better in every place he touched. There was nothing we asked of him that he did not tackle willingly and with enthusiasm. When we asked him to lead— He served as the Affiliate President in Colorado from 2005 until 2021. When we asked him to use his skills to extend our rights through his knowledge of the law, again he answered, eventually becoming the National Federation of the Blind's Chief Counsel and making a name for himself not only among blind people, but among colleagues who also practice in the legal profession. His work has made more books available to blind Americans and to blind citizens around the world, he has made the world a safer place to travel because of his work to make quiet cars audible. His love and passion have taught us all how to be generous and giving and to consider it an honor to be a giver. In the Jacob Blotten Award he received in 2014, we recognize that Scott's contributions are not measured in steps but in miles, and the bar is one he has set by example that stretches us all and allows us to reach beyond where we were to where we dreamed to be. Celebration of life and legacy. Order of Service Master of Ceremonies Kevin Worley Prayer Mary Ellen Jernigan Remembrances Mark A. Ricabono, President National Federation of the Blind Diane Primavera Lieutenant Governor Colorado Julie Deeden Executive Director Colorado Center for the Blind Julie Reiskin Executive Director Colorado Cross Disability Coalition Jesse Danielson State Senator Colorado Alan Olson, 30-year friend of Scotty. Marianne Diamond, past president and representative to the Marrakesh Diplomatic Conference, World Blind Union. Francis Gurry, former director general, World Intellectual Property Organization. Daniel Goldstein, founding partner, Brown, Goldstein & Levy. Judy Perry Martinez, past president, American Bar Association. Musical Interlude, Stray Dog. Remembrances Continued. Pam Allen, First Vice President, National Federation of the Blind. Mark Maurer, Immediate Past President, National Federation of the Blind. Jessica Beacham, President, National Federation of the Blind of Colorado. Anahit Labar, Wife of Scott. Musical Interlude, Cherry Creek High School, Meister Singers. Final Thoughts, Kevin Worley, Moment of Silence Benediction. Exiting Remarks, Mary Ellen Jernigan Program Continued A Life of Spirit, Service, and Strength Scott C. Labar has made his place in history as a giant among those in search of civil rights for blind people, as well as among those who pursue justice for all who receive less than they are due. He was the General Counsel to the National Federation of the Blind and managed a multi-million dollar legal advocacy program. Because of him, applicants can use assistive technology— as an accommodation on the multi-state bar examination, and can pursue a doctor of chiropractic degree with their desired accommodations. More systemic in nature were his victories in employment law, disability rights, and international policy work, particularly in the area of copyright law. There he was a primary advocate for an amendment to the Copyright Act, allowing materials to be transcribed for use by the blind without having to undergo the long and tedious process of prior approval, which was the case prior to 1996. Extending this work, he was instrumental in the drafting and adoption of a Marrakesh Treaty, permitting the sharing of books in special formats among the blind and print-disabled of many countries. Scott was permanently admitted to practice before the Supreme Court in the United States, the United States Court of Appeals for the Second, Seventh, Eighth, Ninth, Tenth, and D.C. Circuits, the United States District Court for the District of Colorado, the Supreme Court of Colorado, the United States District Court for the District of Maryland, and the Maryland Court of Appeals, Maryland's highest court. He was named one of Colorado's super lawyers and best lawyers, distinctions recognizing the top 5% of Colorado attorneys. A role model for many, Scott understood the importance of serving in the American Bar Association, believing that advancing his career must proceed hand-in-hand with advancing his career field. He was a founding member of the Disability Rights Bar Association, and served on its executive board as vice chair. He served a three-year term on the American Bar Association's Board of Governors, where he chaired the Member Services Committee and served on the board's executive committee during his last year. Scott was also active in the ABA's SOLO, Small Firm and General Practice Division, holding a position on its governing council for several terms. He recently became chair of the division in August of 2022, ABA President Reginald Turner asked him to serve on the ABA's Standing Committee on Meetings and Travel and the Steering Committee of ABA's Practice Forward, a committee appointed to examine the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic on the practice of law. Scott represented the Denver Bar Association as a delegate to the ABA's House of Delegates. And within the National Federation of the Blind, Scott served as the President of the National Association of Blind Lawyers for more than 20 years. More impressive than his professional accomplishments are the things Scott did for his family, biological and spiritual. He knew he was one of the luckiest men alive when Anahit agreed to be his wife and lifelong partner. Together they brought into the world and nurtured two souls who would mean more to Scott than any hired or elected position. Being the finest father he could be was a commitment he strove to honor and uphold throughout his life. He cheered on Alexander as he played baseball and was immensely proud when he achieved the rank of Eagle Scout. Scott was enthusiastic in Carter's participation in the choir, on the basketball court, and in the theater activities where set design became a major focus and may well become a career. We dare not forget his beloved Labradoodle, Mocha. Scott loved the mechanics of flying, even when his life was made more difficult as a blind consumer who would not be left alone by those intent on learning where it was he was trying to go and telling him how slow and deliberate he should be in getting there. He loved anything to do with space and space travel and when there was a launch or landing, he was often found in front of a television set cheering on the activity in the same way he would celebrate the victories of his favorite college and professional sports teams. This outstanding federationist will always be remembered for his distinguished service to the Colorado affiliate, the Colorado Center for the Blind, and his long-standing and successful efforts to raise funds through the NFB monthly donation program. Beyond his work, our love sprang from his determination to make us laugh, feel better about ourselves, and to know that we are appreciated and loved. Scott was one of the finest examples of an integrated human we have ever known, and may his work and example propel us not only to greater victories, but to even greater successes as we strive to live as full and balanced people. Scott Labar Legacy Scott worked tirelessly to build the National Federation of the Blind. If you would like to contribute to further Scott's legacy, please consider a gift to the Museum of the Blind People's Movement. The next frontier is to change the nature of the broader public perception of blindness. America has no cultural institution that centers the experience of blind individuals of diverse backgrounds and celebrates how those people worked together to lift each other up through centuries of misconceptions. It is no accident that the blind have made progress in society. It has come through the sacrifice, struggle, and generosity of blind people who have worked together to build their own independence. It is time for us to tell our story, Scott's story, in order to dramatically enhance the public understanding of blind people and our contributions within society. Our legal and legislative victories are central to our stories, and Scott's work, including the Marrakesh Treaty, will be highlighted in the museum. The museum is encouraging five-year pledges during this phase of the campaign. Please contact Patty Chang for more information at 410-659-9314, extension 2422, or P. Chang. P C H A N G at nfb.org. In addition to the museum campaign, the National Federation of the Blind recently established the Scott C Labar Leadership and Justice Fund. The fund will support many things that were near and dear to Scott, such as our advocacy work and our work around education. To give to the fund, visit https://nfb.org/donate and indicate that your donation is in memory of Scott. Thank you to all who have already pledged to our museum or contributed to the fund. Please join in creating a lasting legacy for Scott. Remarks by Anahit Labar A photo appears on the page, the caption, A Labar family photo, Alexander, Scott, Anahit, and Carter. First of all, I want to say thank you to everyone who is here in person, here virtually, and everyone who is present in spirit. I want to say a special thanks to the Colorado Center for the Blind and the National Federation of the Blind for the incredible job they have done putting this event together to honor Scott and to honor his memory and to celebrate the life that he lived, the accomplishments he has had, along with everyone who has worked with him. It has been an incredible experience as far as how much support we have gotten as a family throughout these difficult few months. As I was thinking about what to say, the task was very difficult for me because there is so much to say and it's hard to figure out how to narrow this down to the three to five minutes that Kevin wanted this to be. Her tone of voice and the laughter that accompanied it indicated that three to five minutes was not at all realistic. Scott loved quotes. Before there was a convention or a meeting of some sort, he spent hours just going through different quotes trying to find just the right one. So have I. I read a lot of quotes, but the one that caught my attention was the following. To do what you want to do, to leave a mark, in a way that you think is important and lasting, that's a life well lived. The quotation is by Laurene Powell Jobs. I felt this quotation was so appropriate for Scott because, even though his life was cut short, he has left this world a better place. I cannot possibly tell you how many times he mentioned to me, to our family, To anyone who would listen how important it was for each of us to leave this world a better place than what we found. I certainly think that he has accomplished that. I do want to say, though, that none of it was done just by himself. Part of what he enjoyed the most was the collaboration, working together, being a part of something big, and he absolutely loved it. His dedication to the National Federation of the Blind had no limits. He loved the organization, he loved the people in it, and it was definitely his family. Scott enjoyed tremendously being a part of the American Bar Association. He treasured the friendships that that work brought to him, but he also really loved the work that they did, the challenges that they got to face, and the progress they made. Everything that Scott did he really treasured, so this is his professional life. We have heard from many colleagues, friends, and as all of them are unanimous in saying, he was a very genuine person. You didn't have to guess where Scott stood on an issue or what his mood was like or any of that and I absolutely love that about Scott. What I want to talk about gets me back to the quotation, to do what you want to do and to leave a mark, took on a completely different meaning when Scott became a father. He loved being a dad. He was goofy when the kids were little. He would come up with all kinds of stories with permanent characters in them, and they had funny names. As someone said earlier, we did have a tent in our living room, and that tent traveled all over the place. I'm telling you that whoever made that tent deserves a medal, because even with Scott and the kids in it, it rolled all over and it never broke. It took two years before it finally was disassembled. We also had a plastic car that could be pushed around the house, and he pushed that car with the kids in it so fast that it was like they were engaged in the race of a lifetime. Not only did Scott love being a dad, but he loved showing the world to me as well as to the kids. Every time there was an opportunity where there was a meeting in an interesting place, he sincerely asked me to join him. We would go to these places and he was always so busy. He was in meetings or negotiating something, but he'd always make sure to sit down and say, let's look up tourism opportunities. I'd love for the kids to learn about history. So it was that we learned about spaceships and all kinds of other ships and history and architecture. He wanted to bring all of that to our family, whether that was directly through him or through me. Then there was another part where I stepped back and I said that he should absolutely have at it because Scott loved water. He loved boats, and he loved boats that went fast. I had to allow him to enjoy some time with the kids on his own while I went to the coffee shop and enjoyed the good coffee. Do what you want to do and leave the mark you want. That was a good motto for Scott in everything he did. He loved his sports teams, and I will tell you that it was best for everyone not to be in close proximity when any of the teams he was highly passionate about were playing because he took things very seriously, win or lose. Scott had yet another hobby. He loved anything connected with aerospace, whether that was airplanes or space itself. You will probably be hard-pressed to find anyone outside the profession who cared that deeply and was as curious about space and airplanes as Scott was. He wanted to make sure that it was interesting to everyone around him as well. Sometimes we would review our subscription to cable channels, and I would try to convince him to cut back on some of them. It turned out that was non-negotiable because part of the channel package that he wanted featured the NASA channel. He would turn it on and... For those of you who have never watched the NASA channel, it is not the most action-packed channel on the planet. Not a whole lot goes on there, but he would turn it on, it would be in the background, and I would forget about it. All of the sudden, as I would go around doing my business, all of the sudden I would hear the astronauts start communicating in my living room. I have to confess it startled me every single time. Even after being startled, I would just have to laugh because I knew this was something that was very important to Scott and he was very passionate about it. Another thing he absolutely loved, which you've heard many, many times here, was music. He explored all different genres. Some of our neighbors are here, and I apologize on behalf of our family, because I know many of them knew when I was not home. We had outdoor speakers. Scott was very proud of these, and when I got back home, I would find him on the back porch swing, blasting the music like there was no tomorrow, and swinging to it full force. Everything Scott did, he did with all his heart, whether that was work or singing or having fun. Let's come back to... To do what is important to you. One of my favorite things about Scott, one that I will treasure most, is how intellectual, full of curiosity, and open our conversations were. Often, dinner time turned into a debate, inquiry, or just a plain discussion. We all asked questions, doubted, agreed, argued sometimes, but it was so powerful, loving, and full of curiosity. I love that about our family. Scott had this incredible sixth sense in him, I probably drove him crazy because whenever we were about to embark on a new journey, I would go to him and ask, Does this feel right to you? He tried so very hard to teach me how to trust myself and how to listen to myself and how to know when something is right. He tried very, very hard, and I hate to say that he hasn't succeeded completely. This brings me to one of the last things I want to say. What he has taught me is to be a part of a larger community, and especially in these last few months, There's absolutely no way our family could have gotten through this time without our communities, so many of them. There is our National Federation of the Blind family, our biological family, our friends, our neighbors. I just started a new job, and it is incredibly touching how supportive the team is on my job. I want to thank every single person, and while my heart wants to name everyone who has been deeply involved, I know I will accidentally forget someone, and then lose sleep over it. So here's what I want to say... To every single one of you who called, sent a card, brought dinner, held our hands, just listened, we thank you from the bottom of our hearts. I want to conclude what I say, Mark Riccobono, you and I think alike. Actually, this song came up twice already, and while I was listening to many, many songs and trying to figure out which one to play for our wonderful visitors who cannot be here in person and are on Zoom, I was also trying to listen and find songs that I heard Scott play many times. It doesn't matter which songs I like, this is about Scott. I remind you that when he listened to music, he didn't just listen. One of the songs that kept coming up over and over again was the song titled, One. I mentioned earlier how deeply I appreciated our conversations, where we talked about ethics, human rights, and so many different things. So my point is that, although Scott really appreciated the music that you 2 did, he also appreciated how enthralled they were with social justice and human rights. He told me many times how important it was to him that not only did they sing and produce good music, but they also cared about people. I did a lot of research in choosing this song, and part of the reason is that it is so open to interpretation. The song also reminds me of the community we are part of, so diverse yet somehow so complete and so right. What this song says is, we are one but not the same. We get to carry each other. I invite you all to continue the work that Scott started, Diversity and acceptance were very important to Scott, so let us embrace the diversity. Let us embrace the fact that there are conflicts. How do we look for resolution? Let us move forward and embrace the one, but not the same, and the idea that we get to carry each other. Thank you. Remarks by Alan Olson From the Editor Alan is a 30-year friend of Scott Labar. He is also a lawyer who had the pleasure of working with Scott on several cases important to blind people, Here, in large part, is what he said to the gathering. I should tell you that I often referred to my friend as Scotty, and he referred to me as A.O. Usually, he did this musically using those dulcet tones that were uniquely his. Sometimes I would hear him summoning me from across the room singing those letters. This was a part of his wonderful personality that we have all been so blessed to experience. It is what made him unique. I didn't know it at the time, but the Saturday before the Saturday that Scott passed away would be the last time I got to talk with him. I was so fortunate to get to visit with him for almost two and a half hours. I tried to remember what Mom taught me early about having one mouth and two ears, and for once I had the sense to follow her good advice, and I just listened. Saturdays tended to be his Superman day, with his regiment of drugs, so he was boisterous and full of energy, and he was Scotty. Some of the things I want to share with you tonight are the things he wanted me to share. I grew up with Scott Labar in the American Bar Association, as did so many of our friends who are here in person and watching virtually. He was like a brother, and we loved him. Whether we were working cases together, brainstorming as co-counsel, for example, on Aaron Cannon's case, what a privilege it was to represent Aaron Cannon. I want to share just one story with you about that. As many of you know, Scott handled the oral argument before the Iowa Supreme Court in that case, a case that you are all very familiar with, It has made such a meaningful and lasting difference since the Iowa Supreme Court had the courage to do what it did. The Iowa Supreme Court each year chooses some cases, and I used to call them the roadshow cases, the ones they would take out into the community. The idea was to get out into the community throughout Iowa so that it can see firsthand how the justice system works as evidenced by its highest court. Our case was chosen for that, and we were down in southeast Iowa in an unusually large auditorium at a junior high school. One of the neat aspects of these roadshows was that, after the oral arguments, which were just as real as if they had been held where they are normally held, the idea was to get together in the cafeteria, in this instance for punch and cookies, and to really turn it into a more informal event. This would let the community meet the court and get to visit them and ask questions of them. But it will come as no surprise to any of you that, after Scott delivered an extraordinary oral argument to the Iowa Supreme Court, there was a break as we transitioned to the cafeteria. What do you suppose happened? Normally, folks start lining up to meet the justices of the Iowa Supreme Court, but on this cold evening, the Iowa Supreme Court lined up to meet Scotty. And then, when they got done meeting Scotty, all the folks that normally line up to meet the Iowa Supreme Court justices lined up to meet Scotty. It was extraordinary. Many of you know the nature of that case. It was a case about Aaron, who had been invited to join a chiropractic school and then about halfway through was told that they couldn't accommodate the rest of his education because it was more clinical. I only share that because, after an inordinate amount of time in that cafeteria where people poured over the extraordinary person who was Scott Charles Labar, we were among the last folks to walk out of that junior high school long after most folks who came to watch and learn about our justice system had exited. But I will never forget that, when I opened the door and we began to exit... There were all of those people waiting for Scotty to come out so they could clap for him and for his cause. I'll never forget the first voice I heard when I emerged from those doors and what he said. I hope you kick their ass. But whether we were working on cases, snowmobiling together on different snowmobiles through the National Forest, whether we were being certified together at the Land Rover Driving School, and yes, Anahit has the proof that Scotty is a certified driver or more recently celebrating Scotty's 50th birthday together at a U2 concert in Madison Square Garden, here is what I know about my friend, whom I loved and I miss. Scott Labar may have lost his eyesight at age 10, but oh did he have vision. A vision for his family, a vision for his friends and clients, a vision for his legal profession and community, and a vision for a movement that is now international in scope. Through his vision, Scott touched each of us in a unique and most special way. But because of Scott's vision we all can see more clearly. We can see how our vision is the justification for our existence. We can see how we can better navigate the challenges of the realities of this side of heaven. And we can see how our own leadership is about making others better through our example, so that the impact of our presence transcends our absence. How? Just like he did. Start where you are, use what you have, do what you can. And if we do as Scott did, the meaningful, lasting, and positive difference in the real lives of people will make will be seen by others. What Scott understood was that what others see depends on what we show them. May Scott's vision and his goodness continue to inspire our own so that the positive impact we make is seen far and wide and throughout time. Remarks by Mark Riccobono A photo appears on the page, the caption, Mark Riccobono We gather together to celebrate a great man, a father, a friend, a leader, a mentor, a trailblazer, and a blessing to us. It is said that a great man is one who leaves others at a loss after he is gone. Scott Labar transcends that level of greatness. While as individuals we will continue to feel lost without his physical presence, he has left us with each other, a community that can continue working together to spread the spirit and values that this man shared with each of us. Scott was challenged by going blind at age 10, but he did not accept the popular message that blindness defined him. He recognized that he could change the future. To quote one of Scott's favorite artists, Bono, pop music often tells you everything is okay, while rock music tells you that it's not okay, but you can change it. Scott always had a greater affinity for rock music, and the world is better off for it. Despite the incredible program of speakers we have here today, We will only begin to reveal the many dimensions of this great man, his impact, and the spirit he generously shared with us. We must continue to share and celebrate his story, using Scott's example as motivation in our march together. In 1986, the National Federation of the Blind made an investment in an 18-year-old, assertive Minnesotan by awarding him one of our prestigious national scholarships. That moment was the beginning of Scott's transformation into a generous, savvy, and unwavering leader of the organized blind movement whose impact circled the globe and affected a diverse set of communities. For nearly 40 years, Scott volunteered thousands of hours as a mentor, advocate, elected leader, committee chair, fundraiser, skilled counselor, and dogged negotiator. In addition to his extraordinary volunteer efforts, he dedicated his private legal practice to the advancement of disability rights. As a blind lawyer, his practice was particularly effective in advancing opportunities for the blind and most recently he served as the Federation's General Counsel, helping to coordinate the most significant legal program impacting blind people anywhere in the world. He used any opportunity he had to build the Organized Blind Movement. His extraordinary efforts in the implementation of the Marrakesh Treaty, his successful recruitment of hundreds of people with disabilities into the American Bar Association community, and his interesting work with other organizations will all be shared by others on this program. He was rarely quiet when doing that work. His booming voice was readily identifiable in any crowd, but he did the work with humility, not seeking personal recognition and always preferring to celebrate the effectiveness of collective action. Yet he will always be most loved for the softer things he did, spending time listening to the stories of blind people, teaching students at the Colorado Center for the Blind, and helping people make connections with others in pursuit of their individual dreams. Our organization will forever be different because Scott Labar was a leader in it. It will also not be the same without him going forward. Scott's legacy urges us to go forward, and fortunately, we have hundreds of members who Scott personally mentored to build on that legacy. We have already taken the first steps. In recognition of the hope, love, and determination that Scott poured into our movement, and in acknowledgement of the outstanding impact of his leadership, The Federation's Board of Directors has established the Scott C. Labar Leadership and Justice Fund. More personally, let me share my experience with Scott's big heart. He was the older brother I never had. We had a standing meeting every Tuesday morning and, although it was not written in our notes, we always had an agenda item of checking in on our families. His love for Anahit, Alex, and Carter was unending. Fortunately for me, the Labar children are older than my own and his dad feedback has been invaluable. Scott was not afraid of being genuine with his friends, and I will continue to treasure those moments. Our recent time together has largely been shared over Zoom from our respective homes. Scott made certain that his voice was very present in the virtual room. He got the best microphone he could find. The moments I liked the best were those when the smallest Labar needed his attention. We would be talking about some serious matter, and he would ask if I could give him a minute or two. When he left his mic open, I could hear his big, booming voice rise a number of octaves as he joyfully called Mocha to go outside. This always involved Scott giving her a lot of love before he returned to our work. I loved the contrast of our outstanding general counsel joyfully sharing love with his dog. It expressed so simply the heart that drove everything he did. It was more than sharing his love for the Labar family. He was also part of my family. In a visit to our home in Baltimore, We could be having a very serious conversation out on our rooftop deck, but when one of the girls inserted themselves into the mix, Scott stopped everything to engage with them. He would play along with whatever silly scheme they had in mind. They especially seemed to like the idea of pretending to jail the lawyer. They started referring to him as Scott the Dot, and he loved it. Scott was the reason I always made sure to have gin and tonic in my house. One time I asked my daughter Oriana, who is here today, to ask Scott the Dot if he would like another gin and tonic. Perhaps, due to the carbonation in tonic water, she cheerfully went to him and said, Would you like another glass of gas? We have been enjoying glasses of gas together ever since, although we expanded the definition to include any beverage that is chosen for the occasion of sharing our hopes, fears, joys, or sorrows. I am certain that in the Riccobono House we will forever offer each other glasses of gas in salute to the man who offered us the spirit of his heart every time we met, and we invite you to share in the tradition— On behalf of the members of the National Federation of the Blind, I want to thank the Labar family for sharing Scott with us. We know that it is because of your generosity, sacrifice, and support of Scott that this community has had the opportunity to connect with each other. It is your love that was reflected in Scott and continues to be shared in this community, a group that will continue to be here for you. A number of times in his final hours, Scott said to Anahit, Don't let them forget about disability rights. We will not forget and, more importantly, we will continue the mission. Let's adopt a new rally call to that effort in Scott's honor as we move forward together to take the lyrics from a U2 song. One love, one blood, one life, you got to do what you should. One life with each other, sisters, brothers. One life, but we're not the same, we get to carry each other, carry each other. One powerful life that has bound us together was Scott C. Labar one life full of love, and we come together to share both the love and the mission of making the world better. One community built by the life achievements of one great man. Let's celebrate that life by carrying each other as we continue building the future God imagined. Remarks by Judy Perry Martinez From the Editor Judy Martinez was the 143rd president of the American Bar Association, serving in that position in 2019-2020, the year that commemorated the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment, which guarantees and protects a woman's right to vote. Here is what she had to say about Scott. There are those lawyers whom the American Bar Association changes, and then there are a few who change the American Bar Association. Scott Labar was one of the latter, Scott not only made us think differently about disability rights and individual dignity, but he made us think smarter on so many levels, on so many fronts. My friendship with Scott began many years ago when I was first enveloped in his hearty and contagious laughter and his irreproachable humor. There was no dueling with Scott on the wit front. We all know that. He met his victims more than halfway coming and going. There was no one safe from the warmth of his teasing or the genuinely sweet way, and I know Scott would scoff at that description, but he was genuinely sweet yet strategic in how he made you want to be his friend. The descriptors that I often think about when I think about Scott as a leader are representative, visionary, statesperson, public servant. Scott was a lawyer-servant, the kind of member of the legal profession that the preamble of the American Bar Association's model rules of professional conduct speaks to and urges each of us lawyers to be. In that regard, Scott understood, probably more than most, that... As the preamble states, lawyers play a vital role in the preservation of society, and it goes on to say, As public citizen, a lawyer should seek improvement of the law, access to the legal system, the administration of justice, and the quality of service rendered by the legal profession. All lawyers should devote professional time and resources and use civic influence to ensure equal access to our system of justice for all those who, because of economic or social barriers, cannot afford or secure adequate legal counsel. And to vote, Scott did. I was privileged to observe the depth of Scott's devotion when, in the same year we served as presidents of two national bar associations, me with the ABA and Scott as president of the National Association of Blind Lawyers. It was around that table, with all the other National Bar Association presidents, that I came to understand that Scott's service was rooted in the same as the service of the most effective lawyer leaders, His service always had been and always was rooted in doing good for others and the greater good, and was never about himself. Scott was a lawyer's lawyer, a leader's leader, whether it was his service on the ABA Board of Governors or its Executive Committee, as Chair of the ABA Commission on Disability Rights, or most recently as Chair of the Solo, Small Firm, and General Practice Divisions. Scott made a difference with his wise counsel, his tough decision-making, and his collaborative approach. But likely his greatest professional impact within the ABA was his service and, perhaps better said, his courage as he walked to the well of the ABA House of Delegates on more than one occasion and educated his over 600 delegate-slash-colleagues as to what a society that sets its values on the cornerstone of equality really must demand of its people in government and in everyday life. The delegates listened, and the House as a body adopted the policies that Scott brought to us for consideration. Scott made a home in the ABA, but then he did something else. He invited so many other leaders to join him there, and for that the ABA will always be richer for them. As current ABA President Deborah Enix Ross noted in the ABA Journal recently upon Scott's passing, Scott was a top lawyer in the disability law arena, but he was so much more. It is the so much more that is what each of us will remember when we think of Scott in the days, weeks, and months to come. The so much more that Anaheed and Carter and Craig and Deborah and Mr. and Mrs. LaBar can best understand. There's so much more that made each of our individual journeys all the richer for having had Scott in our lives. We will miss him in the American Bar Association, we know you also will, and we just hope that we will all live up to everything that Scott believed in, what he worked for, and what he lived each day of his life in promise and in purpose. Thank you. Remarks by Daniel F. Goldstein A photo appears on the page, the caption, Dan Goldstein. My name is Dan Goldstein. Like Scott, I represented blind individuals at the behest of the NFB. I apologize for not being with you in person. I am in France, where it is well past midnight. How wonderful it was to have Scott Labar as your friend. When you ran into him, his smile and hearty laugh could shake you from any mood you might be in. Then you would need to have your feet planted squarely, because he would begin to express his enthusiasm of the moment, picking you up and carrying you along as though you were suffering a tidal wave. Warm, generous, open, all of these characteristics were constants with Scott and made you look forward to being with him. And you never had to guess with Scott. His honesty and candor came without any calculation of the cost to him. I know I am on the agenda to talk about Scott as a lawyer, but the qualities that made him a lawyer of the highest order were his personal qualities. There was no separation between Scott the person and Scott the professional. I mentioned earlier Scott's enthusiasm. His passion didn't wane in the face of obstacles and setbacks. It was coupled with a persistence and determination that ensured that Scott would preserve for that client no matter how great the odds against success. Scott took many ADA job discrimination cases, without question the hardest cases at which to succeed. Many lawyers would shy away, not wanting to tackle cases where bias and stereotypes can triumph over the truth and justice. But Scott embraced those clients, embraced their cases, and gave each one absolutely everything he had, and that was a lot. Whether he won or lost or settled, every day Scott did something to repair the world, and there are few who can say what we say of him. The world is a better place because Scott Labar was on this earth, and his legacy leaves us direction from where to go from here. Judges and juries could trust and like Scott, just as was true in his interchanges outside the court, with Scott, what you saw was what you got and what you saw was a straightforward, thoughtful, smart, and humble man. Let me say something about the humility, as it is a very rare characteristic in trial lawyers. Scott knew he had a good mind, I am sure, and was aware that he had a commanding voice. But he knew there were limits to his knowledge. There was no arrogance to Scott, and to judges and juries, as with the rest of us, I think there can be no more endearing quality except perhaps his kindness and gentleness." Does it come through that I not only admired and respected Scott, but that I loved him dearly? When I would encounter Scott, be it at NFB headquarters or a conference, he would wait for me to ask after Anahit, Alexander, and Carter, but that was the end of his hesitation. Over the next fifteen minutes, his love for his family, how proud he was of them, just shone out of him, and somehow you ended up feeling embraced, too. His family's love was the source of his strength. His family was his joy." It seems to me that, to approach lawyering as Scott did, with such openness and such a determination to seek justice, takes not just great strength and bravery, which he most certainly had, but also requires believing that the world can be fair if we work hard to make it so. At times like this, at least for me, the idea of fairness seems absurd, like some kind of horrible bad joke, yet if I wish to honor Scott's memory, and I do, I owe it to Scott and his family to kindle that belief in myself." My life is richer for having had Scott as a friend. He called me a mentor, but the truth is, he taught me lessons of great value. Thank you. Remarks by Mark Maurer A photo appears on the page, the caption, Mark Maurer. Scott Labar was first, and always, a friend. He had many talents. He was physically fit. He could pick up barbells weighing more than sixty pounds in each hand and do with them whatever he wanted. He loved music and he explored many different genres. He traveled throughout the United States to inspire others and to represent his clients, and he visited many other parts of the world for the same reason. His memory was prodigious, and he had an excellent grasp of the law. He had a commanding voice and a talent for oratory. He was a joyful human being and a fierce negotiator. His grasp of politics was thorough, and he used his comprehension of the topic to influence policy in Colorado, in the United States, and beyond our borders. Along with all of these talents, he had a warm and generous spirit. He was a friend. He wanted to help. He gave of himself to do exactly that, and on those rare occasions, when he could not achieve his objectives, he felt personal and profound pain. The majority of human beings think of blindness as a medical matter, and certainly when the process of losing vision is underway, it is important to seek medical attention to prevent the loss of vision. However, when blindness has come to a human being and no medical attention will change this, Blindness is no longer medical, but entirely something else. Those who become blind have talent, but often this is not recognized. Consequently, blind people are routinely prevented from full participation in the activities that other people take for granted. Scott Labar got the challenging assignment to change the comprehension of the legal community with respect to blindness and disability. People with disabilities have a right to full participation in society, but the judges rarely know this. Many lawyers do not know about the talents of people who have disabilities. The topic has never been considered seriously in their lives. This is not astonishing because the notion that blind people are without ability is fairly well entrenched in the thought processes of American culture. Judges rarely encounter people with disabilities. Scott was assigned the task to change this. He served as part of the American Bar Association, at least in part, to bring the reality of disability to lawyers to help lawyers comprehend that people with disabilities have talent and the right to use that talent. He represented clients in court who possessed disabilities. If judges haven't met competent people with disabilities, how can they escape the prejudice? Furthermore, how can judges know if the lawyers don't? Teach the lawyers and the judges will know. In the case of employment, the law says that an employee may not be denied employment if that employee possesses the bona fide occupational qualifications to do the work. Even if the person does possess these qualifications, an employer may deny employment if it can demonstrate a safety threat. The assertion of danger alone is not enough. There must be evidence showing that something really is dangerous, not just a claim that somebody is worried that it could be. Well over 90% of employment cases brought on behalf of disabled workers are lost. Consequently, any lawyer who brings an employment case faces an enormous challenge. In 2011, the National Federation of the Blind sponsored a case of discrimination on behalf of a blind employee, Frank Hone, who had been fired by his employer, Burlington Northern Santa Fe Railways, because they said he was blind and his blindness created a danger in the workplace. Scott Labar did the legal work. After a trial that lasted seven days, the case was lost. In the Court of Appeals, the case was lost once again. The evidence in the case showed that Frank Hone had been working for Burlington Northern doing machinist repairs on locomotives for seven years. He had an excellent safety record on the job. He did his work well and in a timely manner. When the company discovered that he was blind, they fired him. No evidence came out at trial that his safety record was poor, that he had been injured on the job, that anybody else had been injured on the job because of him, or that his performance had created the likelihood of injury on the job. However, three doctors who had never observed this employee doing his work testified that it is unsafe for a blind person to do it, and the jury believed the doctors. When it came to the Court of Appeals, the judge who wrote the opinion said, A reasonable jury could find that Hone's vision impairments precluded him not only from performing the essential functions safely, but performing them at all. Blindness alone can be cited, according to this court, as a valid challenge to employment, at least employment working to repair locomotives. It is fair to presume that the judges who heard this case know relatively little about repairing locomotives, less about blindness, and nothing at all about how blind people repair locomotives. The same is undoubtedly true of the jury. The members of the jury know about doctors and much of the time they trust them. However, although the doctors know something about diseases of the eye, they know nothing about blindness and the talents of blind people. This is not their area of knowledge and expertise. The conclusion is inescapable the decision in the trial court rested not on evidence but on prejudice. Scott Labar managed this case, and he felt the loss deeply. He knew that the decision was not based on evidence. He knew that the medical model did not apply, but that the judge had made him participate in a case which was based upon the wrong standard. However, he also knew that the enormous challenge to eliminate prejudice from the minds of the witnesses, the judge and the jury must be accepted. A case involving a blind employee is, for many judges, a -a once-in-a-lifetime experience. If we refuse to increase this number for the judges, they will never come to have the depth of experience that gives them adequate background to make decisions fairly based upon the evidence presented. Scott Labar also had his joyful cases. Annan Karen is a blind person who was accepted for matriculation at the Palmer College of Chiropractic in Davenport, Iowa, After Aaron Cannon had paid his money, had participated in classes, and had succeeded in meeting school requirements, the Palmer College officials told him he wasn't really qualified. They said he did not have sufficient sense of vision, and they threw him out. After negotiations failed, we brought an administrative complaint, which proceeded through many layers of decision-making, but in 2010, we won. Palmer appealed to court, and a judge decided that no blind person can become a chiropractor, The evidence presented that blind people all over the nation are doing this job made no difference to the judge. We proceeded to the Iowa Supreme Court. The decision of the Supreme Court fills more than 40 pages. Some of the language of the decision is on point. It contains a review of state and federal law regarding discrimination involving disability. However, the dissenting opinions exhibit some of the most obtuse, obnoxious, and prejudicial comments ever written about blindness. Scott Labar served as our champion. Five of the seven judges on the court declared that discrimination against the blind in colleges in the state of Iowa will not be tolerated. Aaron Cannon can go to school. Furthermore, he was awarded damages for the injuries he suffered. The reports of the case tell us that Scott Labar's performance was stellar. Then there was the Marrakesh Treaty. Blind people have been battling to get access to books for as long as anybody can remember. The World Blind Union, which includes blind people from the United States, suggested that a treaty be created to permit sharing of accessible reading matter for the blind across country borders, but organizations representing copyright holders objected. Senior officials in the Obama administration told members of the National Federation of the Blind that a treaty could not be adopted. Treaties, they said, take forever. Even if they are adopted by some kind of diplomatic conference, it is virtually impossible to get them through the Senate. They wanted us to accept what they called a soft law approach but we decided to seek full recognition under international law. Scott Labar was our negotiator. The diplomatic conference to address the question of creating a treaty to permit written materials to be shared across country borders occurred in Marrakesh, Morocco, in 2013. The plan was that the meeting would take place in June. I was then serving as president of the National Federation of the Blind, and the convention of the organization was to take place in early July. Scott Labar told me to hold a place on the Convention agenda to discuss the treaty. I asked him if he was sure there would be one, to which he responded, Certainly. When he arrived in Marrakesh, there were 37 unsolved problems facing adoption of the treaty. In less than two weeks, Scott and his colleagues had persuaded the delegates to accept language solving all 37. Within a few years, the treaty came before the Foreign Relations Committee of the Senate, At the hearing that occurred, the chairman of the committee said that in a most unusual occurrence in Washington, there was unanimity among the committee members regarding the adoption of the treaty, and it was sent forward to the Senate floor for ratification. Scott Labar served on the Accessible Books Consortium, which has made 730,000 books available to the blind to date, which would not have been without his magnificent work. Scott Labar's work to improve lives for human beings was enormous. All that he did could not have been accomplished without his robust personality. He was a friend. He wanted to give to others. He cared profoundly, deeply. I enjoyed the interplay of his thoughts, the intricacy of his mind, his insatiable curiosity. But I loved his heart and his indomitable spirit. I am joyful that he was my friend. Remarks by Pam Allen A photo appears on the page, the caption, Pam Allen, Thank you. It is so humbling to be here today to share with you as we come together to celebrate the impact Scott had and continues to have on each of us. When I first connected with the National Federation of the Blind, I was in college and was so eager to meet other blind students. I had so many questions and I was also excited about networking with others and learning about the careers they were pursuing and the strategies they used. I had the incredible experience of helping with organizing student chapters in several states and attending Washington Seminar even before my first national convention. When I found what we then called the student division, I knew immediately that I had found what I was looking for, and an integral piece of that was Scott. As all of us know, Scott had a way of making an impression. When you walked into a room, you immediately knew where Scott was. His booming voice, his easy laugh, his ability to chime in on just about any topic with some knowledge or opinion. He had a way of drawing people in and making everyone feel needed. Scott was great at delegating, and I remember that he found ways for me, who was very new to the NFB, to get involved and feel like I had something to contribute. And I know he did that for so many people here and who are listening. Later that year, at my first national convention, I was elected to serve on the student division board and had the chance, over the next couple of years, to continue to learn from and work with Scott, whether it was helping with more student chapter organizing or planning seminars featuring the young and uh, the skillless skits or writing up articles for the student slate, or staying up to count poker chips after Monte Carlo nights to determine the big winners, or having a lively discussion about some philosophical issue about a student gathering, or what was the best U2 song, or all of us dreaming about what our futures would hold. Scott was always at the center of our discussions, challenging us to do more than we thought possible, entertaining us with his adventures and stories, and showing us by his example how to lead with wisdom, integrity, humor, and love. He always made sure we got our work done and that we had fun while doing it. Scott found creative ways to share the message of the Federation, and he had a way of getting everyone around him excited about our work. Like I know he did with so many of you, by placing trust in me, Scott helped me gain confidence and find my voice and my place as a young student leader, and that changed my life in so many ways. In the years since our student days, I had the true blessing and gift of Scott's friendship. We celebrated many of life's milestones as we both completed our education, traveled our career paths, found our soulmates, and served in various leadership roles. We enjoyed so many happy times, faced challenges and losses, and shared so many stories. For Scott loved nothing more than to tell stories, especially about Alex and Carter. Scott was so multifaceted, as comfortable testifying about legislation, arguing a case, talking about his beloved sports teams or singing karaoke. Throughout it all, over these many years, Scott remained steady, a constant source of wisdom, a listening ear, a guiding force, an encourager. I knew I could always pick up the phone or send a text and I would get a response, a fresh perspective, a way of looking at the situation that brought clarity. Several times during this last month, I have started to pick up the phone before realizing I cannot hear that booming voice on the other end or Mocha's happy hello. It is then that I remember how much Scott loved each of us and how he fought for the rights of all blind people and how he cherished the work of the NFB. And though I am sad, I am filled with hope and so much gratitude for being able to draw upon the wisdom he shared and the example he set. Maya Angelou said, A great soul serves everyone all of the time. A great soul never dies. It brings us together again and again. Just like Scott did that while he was with us, I know Scott will continue to bring us together again and again, to support each other, to be here for Anahid and Alex and Carter, to build the Federation, to keep fighting the fight, and to keep dreaming and fulfilling the world with laughter and love and hope and possibility. Thank you, Scott. Remarks by Francis Gurry From the Editor Francis Gurry was the Director General of the World Intellectual Property Organization from 2008 to 2020. Here are his remarks. Dear family of Scott Labar, dear Mark Riccobono, dear friends, it is a privilege for me to join you and to be able to say a few words on the occasion of the ceremony to celebrate and to honor the life of a great person, Scott Labar. I came to know Scott in my capacity as Director General of the World Intellectual Property Organization, WIPO, a post from which I retired in September 2020. During my time as Director General, the Marrakesh Treaty to facilitate access to published works for persons who are blind, visually impaired, or otherwise print disabled was successfully concluded in 2013 in, of course, Marrakesh. The Marrakesh Treaty is the most successful example of a multilateral treaty concluded in the 140-year history of the World Intellectual Property Organization and its predecessors, success being measured by the speed of take-up of the treaty around the world through the number of ratifications. There are now some 91 contracting parties and well over 100 countries covered by the ratifications of those 91 contracting parties. Scott Labar was an eloquent, persuasive, and effective advocate for a better deal for visually impaired persons. His influence resounded not just in the formal meetings where his formal skills as an advocate were apparent, but also in the innumerable informal meetings that he had seeking to persuade those who were not necessarily convinced of the need for the Treaty of the Fundamental Justice of bringing a successful conclusion to the Marrakesh Treaty. I should also add that the National Federation of the Blind, NFB, together with the World Blind Union, WBU, were wonderful and highly skilled and effective advocates for the Marrakesh Treaty and for its subsequent ratification by the Congress of the United States of America. The Treaty would not have been concluded successfully, in my view, or subsequently ratified by the United States without the NFB, the WBU, and outstanding negotiators like Scott. We also formed at WIPO the Accessible Books Consortium, which is a partnership of all the elements involved in the value chain of book publishing, authors, publishers, rights-owning or managing organizations, libraries, standards organizations, together with the World Blind Union and other stakeholders from the visually impaired community. I am very pleased to say that the Accessible Books Consortium has brought together, thanks to its various constituents, some 720,000 works in 80 languages that are available in accessible formats throughout the world. Scott Labar sat on the board of directors of the Accessible Books Consortium. He was, as always, a highly skilled, highly knowledgeable, solid and influential negotiator and advisor, respected by all. Scott, your contribution to a better world a world that recognizes and gives expression to the fundamental rights of visually impaired persons, was immense. You were a quiet but immensely strong and effective hero. Farewell, Scott. You remain in our hearts. Remarks by Marianne Diamond A photo appears on the page, the caption, Marianne Diamond. From the editor, Marianne is a past president of the World Blind Union and a longtime activist for the Rights of the Blind. She was a leader during the negotiations and diplomatic conference that led to the Marrakesh Treaty. I recall meeting Scott for the first time when he joined the World Blind Union, WBU, Marrakesh Treaty Negotiating Team. Over many years, we had worked with publishers to improve the situation of accessible books for people who are blind or print disabled around the world with very little success. In 2008, the World Blind Union, WBU, decided to change our approach and began working with copyright experts and friendly governments, over a five-year period at the World Intellectual Property Organization, WIPO, to achieve a treaty. The treaty was adopted in Marrakesh in June of 2013. It is hard not to remember meeting Scott, that loud booming voice, enthusiasm, great skill, and obvious hard work ethic were immediately apparent. Scott brought his legal experience and expertise to the team, built good relationships with the United States government negotiators, and, of course, his personal desire for all blind people worldwide to be able to exercise our human right in accessing information. Throughout the five years, there were some very difficult conversations and situations, even during the diplomatic conference. There was huge pressure on us by publishers and some governments to weaken the treaty text, even accept voluntary guidelines. But we stayed firm, and we stayed strong. Scott was great company. There are many examples of adventures we shared when traveling and working together. One that comes to mind is at the end of one day at a WIPO meeting in Geneva, I assured Scott that I could find our way back to the hotel without waiting for a sighted person to accompany us. We walked to the tram, left the tram at the end of the ride, and made our way into the hotel without any difficulty. Scott was impressed. He suggested I would make a good NFB member. Well, I was impressed with this endorsement as we made our way to the bar for our usual gin and tonic, a custom we enjoyed after a long, hard day's work. Following the adoption of the treaty, Scott continued to work hard. Our focus moved to getting countries to ratify the treaty. It is fair to say Scott played a leadership role in the U.S. to achieve this. I recognized this was very difficult, but Scott and the team were successful. After this, Scott continued his work on the treaty, taking on the role as WBU representative on the WIPO Accessible Books Consortium Board. He was a great contributor representing the blind and print-disabled community worldwide. Scott was a friend, a colleague, someone I admired. I was honored in 2018 when Scott and I were both presented by the Lighthouse for the Blind San Francisco Christopher Buckley, the Blind Boss Award, for our work to achieve the Marrakesh Treaty. With all Scott's achievements within the U.S. and internationally, he was first and foremost a family man. Scott loved his family, spoke of them often, and was so proud of them. He enjoyed his work, but was also keen to get home. Anahit, on behalf of all of us who worked with Scott at the international level, I say thank you. My thoughts and prayers are with you and your family at this time. Remarks by Julie Reiskin From the Editor Julie Reiskin is the Executive Director of the Colorado Cross-Disability Coalition, CCDC, and, as evidenced in her remarks and the welcome she received, She and Scott had a close working relationship that helped create better laws and a friendlier state for blind people and those with other disabilities. Here's what she said. Thank you, Kevin. I'm really honored to be here. I don't remember the first time I met Scott, but I remember the impression. Surprise, surprise, it was his voice. It was so confident and it just oozed assurance that so many of us with disabilities have to fight to get or don't have at all. His presence in the room just permeated victory in a way that was so contagious that losing just wasn't going to be an option. We were going to win. And even if we didn't win, there was no time for self-pity or group pity. It was just about how to re-strategize and figure out how we are going to win later. Always it was keeping our eyes on the prize of inclusion. I was lucky enough to work with Scott on many bills, some of which were mentioned by our Lieutenant Governor, but I have also been honored to watch Scott litigate a case. I was honored to be able to lobby with him in D.C. We were both there in the Colorado section of the American Bar Association Lobby Week. I was there to lobby for civil legal aid money, which, of course, he totally supported, and he was there on the Marrakesh Treaty, and I was thrilled to learn about that. Of course, Scott was the only one in the group who could find his way around D.C. or around the winding halls of Congress because none of us sighted people could figure that out. I'll always be grateful about how Scott and the rest of the Federation and the Colorado Center for the Blind, with Julie, Kevin, Dan, and others, welcome and work so well with the broader disability community. I don't think that happens in every state, and I'm really proud of how we are not siloed in Colorado and that we can work together without watering down the important disability-specific issues. The work of the NFB and CCB are the model of disability empowerment. Like everyone else, I relied on Scott professionally, and it's been jarring the last few weeks to be ready to forward Scott a bill with the question of, what are we going to do about this, and then realize that he's not there. But I know that he worked so hard to build a strong organization, and that there are so many other people that we really look forward to working with more closely. On a personal level, I think what Scott gave me is something more important. Years ago, he invited me to tour the CCB as well as to come to NFB conventions And what I saw there was a strong, incredible organization, sustained over decades, that helped produce many, many thriving and proud people with disabilities. I've always said that NFB is what I want CCDC to be when we grow up. Of course, we are 33, so maybe it's time we move out of the basement. But NFB as an organization and the center are ones we hold in so much esteem. Of course, the NFB convention is the only large event that I ever attend or have attended where I don't get bumped into constantly. I use a wheelchair that weighs over 350 pounds, but for some reason sighted people can never quite see me. But when I'm with a bunch of blind people, it's never a problem. Scott opening up my world to this community has really been priceless and really helped with my own visioning. So I don't want to think about doing advocacy work without Scott, but life is not about what we want, and the best way I know to honor Scott's legacy is to work harder and smarter and with that confidence that he always exuded, to use the laws that he helped create and to continue fighting discrimination. I know that everyone here is committed to doing that. Thank you. State of Colorado Proclamation Whereas, through his work with the National Federation of the Blind of Colorado, the National Federation of the Blind, the Colorado Center for the Blind, and the American Bar Association, Scott LaBar was recognized as a staunch advocate, a defender of equal rights for the blind and people with disabilities, and a leader in the disability rights movement in Colorado, the nation, and around the world. And whereas Scott Labar, himself blind, was an accomplished attorney who devoted his legal career to defending the rights of the blind and people with other disabilities, and whereas, in addition to his legal practice, Scott Labar served as a leader in the legal community, working on committees and the board of governors of the American Bar Association, serving as president of the National Association of Blind Lawyers, and playing an influential role in numerous meetings of the renowned Jacobus Tenbrook Law Symposium. And whereas, Scott Labar engaged in national and international efforts which culminated in the development and promulgation of the Marrakesh Treaty, an international agreement for books for the blind and print disabled to be shared between countries around the world, including the United States of America. And whereas, Scott Labar was a key player in the passage of numerous pieces of legislation in Colorado to further equal rights for the blind and other people with disabilities, not the least of which was... H.B. 18-1104, a bill to end discrimination against parents with disabilities by Colorado County Departments of Human Services. And whereas, in addition to all of the other work he performed on behalf of the blind and others with disabilities, Scott Labar provided mentoring to hundreds of Coloradans who are blind or have other disabilities and many others around the country. And whereas, Scott Labar's untimely passing on December 10, 2022, is a loss to everyone in Colorado, the United States of America, and beyond. Therefore, I, Jared Polis, Governor of the State of Colorado, do hereby proclaim January 21, 2023 as Scott LaBar Day in the State of Colorado, given under my hand and the Executive Seal of the State of Colorado, this 21st day of January, 2023. You Can Make a Difference Blind children, students, and adults are making powerful strides in education and leadership every day across the United States. For more than 80 years, the National Federation of the Blind has worked to transform the dreams of hundreds of thousands of blind people into reality. With support from individuals like you, we continue to provide powerful programs and critical resources for decades to come. We sincerely hope you will plan to be a part of our enduring movement by including the National Federation of the Blind in your charitable giving and in your estate planning. It is easier than you think. With your help, the NFB will continue to give blind children the gift of literacy through Braille. Promote independent travel by providing free, long white canes to blind people in need. Develop dynamic educational projects and programs to show blind youth that science and math careers are within their reach. Deliver hundreds of accessible newspapers and magazines to provide blind people the essential information necessary to be actively involved in their communities. Offer aids and appliances that help seniors losing vision maintain their independence. Plan to Leave a Legacy. The National Federation of the Blind Legacy Society, our Dreammaker Circle, honors and recognizes the generosity and vision of members and special friends of the National Federation of the Blind who have chosen to leave a legacy through a will or other planned giving option. You can join the Dreammaker Circle in a myriad of ways. Fixed Sum of Assets. You can specify that a fixed sum of your assets or property goes to the National Federation of the Blind in your will. Trust, pension, IRA, life insurance policy, brokerage account, or other accounts. Percentage of assets. You can specify that a percentage of your assets or property goes to the National Federation of the Blind in your will, trust, pension, IRA, life insurance policy, brokerage account, or other accounts. Payable on death, POD account. You can name the National Federation of the Blind as the beneficiary on a payable on death, POD account through your bank. You can turn any checking or savings account info into a POD account. This is one of the simplest ways to leave a legacy. The account is totally in your control during your lifetime and you can change the beneficiary or percentage at any time with ease. Will or Trust If you do decide to create or revise your will, consider the National Federation of the Blind as a partial beneficiary. Visit our planned giving webpage, https://www.nfb.org, get, dash, involved, slash, ways, dash give, slash, planned, dash giving, or call 410-659-9314, extension 2422, for more information. Together with love, hope, determination, and your support, we will continue to transform dreams into reality. Ways to Contribute Now Throughout 2021, the NFB sent nearly 1,000 Braille Santa and Winter Celebration Letters to blind children, encouraging excitement for Braille literacy. Distributed over 5,000 canes to blind people across the United States, empowering them to travel safely and independently throughout their communities. Delivered audio newspaper and magazine services to 126,823 subscribers, providing free access to over 500 local National and international publications. Gave over 600 braille writing slates and styluses free of charge to blind users. Mentored 232 blind youth during our Braille Enrichment for Literacy and Learning Academy in home editions. Just imagine what we'll do next year and, with your help, what can be accomplished for years to come. Below are just a few of the many diverse, tax-deductible ways you can lend your support to the National Federation of the Blind. Vehicle Donation Program. The NFB accepts donated vehicles, including cars, trucks, boats, motorcycles, or recreational vehicles. Just call 855-659-9314, toll-free, and a representative can make arrangements to pick up your donation. We can also answer any questions you have. General Donation General donations help support the ongoing programs of the NFB and the work to help blind people live the lives they want, you can call 410-659-9314 and elect option 4 to donate by phone. Donate online with a credit card or through the mail with check or money order. Visit our Ways to Give webpage, https colon slash slash www.nfb.org slash get dash involved slash ways dash give for more information. Pre-authorized Contribution Through the Pre-authorized Contribution pack program, Supporters sustain the efforts of the National Federation of the Blind by making recurring monthly donations by direct withdrawal of funds from a checking account or a charge to a credit card. To enroll, call 410-659-9314, extension 2213, or fill out our PAC donation form, https colon slash slash org slash PAC online. If you have questions about giving, please send an email to outreach at nfb.org or call 410-659-9314, extension 2422. NFE Pledge I pledge to participate actively in the efforts of the National Federation of the Blind to achieve equality, opportunity, and security for the blind, to support the policies and programs of the Federation, and to abide by its Constitution.